0: All right. Hey, everybody, you listen to the High Session Hawaii podcast where we talk about everything local and beyond. I'm John Yamasato, your host, and joining me today is Kyle Shimabukuro. What's up? Devin Nikoba. Howdy. And uh, Dirk Fukushima is going to be joining us. while well, he is there, but <coughs> we're going to be introducing him in a second. Before we begin, I want to remind everybody. Of all the ways they can stay in touch with the show, there's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, which are all at High Sessions. Uh, SoundCloud, you can find the podcast there or on any Apple products, YouTube. And then finally, you can email us at high Sessions at yahoo.com. If you would like to help the show and get more music on our channel, please go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and donate. There, you'll be able to get more involved with the show and to help determine who and what is filmed. And actually, we have some new music videos coming out and of the... Four that will release, one of them will be released on our Patreon only. So we're gonna have specific videos just for our Patreon listeners. Um, Dirk Fukushima is with us today. He is a local TV producer and has done um, everything. If, you've, if you grew up here in the last 20 years, you've seen a Dirk Fukushima production from uh, Hawaii Stars to Po to all of the 4th of July Ala Moana Center events uh, he's done a bunch of specials, and he's been doing television since 1980. 1980. Boy, I was two years old when, when you started doing TV production, Dirk. Well,
1: th- feeling uh, a little old, my friend. Feeling <laughs> very old. Thank you, John, for that.
2: Yeah, but for that—
1: stirring uh stirring, reveling uh, introduction. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with 40 <laughs> years of being in TV. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, 40 years now.
1: Man, oh. that's— a-
0: well, let me start off with this. Um, how have you seen it change in 40 years? Besides the TV is just getting skinnier and skinnier. but <laughs> TV, is,
1: TV is, okay, in my eyes, TV and the way we viewed it as, a, as kids is becoming obsolete. Pretty much right. it. I mean, we can, I can show you the numbers that if we do a TV show, in fact, we just did one, which John and Jake and Lopako are a part of, the numbers are equivalent, the broadcast numbers are equivalent to our streaming numbers. And mm-hmm. I would guess wow. that in a week or so, the streaming numbers will surpass the broadcast numbers. So yeah. mm. it's it, it's interesting. So, you know, I mean, because of this COVID time, it really kind of opened my eyes at least, you know, when will we ever have this amount of free time in our life? And to me it was never.
3: Mm-hmm. So we focused,
1: yeah. Ruben Carrillo and I started focusing on, on learning about Facebook, about YouTube, about streaming our products. And, and, you know, we, uh, we stream every Thursday at five o'clock from five to six with a show we called music six feet away, uh, featuring Tavana. And we bring on a weekly guest and those numbers have been growing and growing. And it's, it's really a puzzle because, uh everyone knows a little bit about streaming. Uh, so anytime I see I, or I speak to someone that's streaming, I say, hey, what's your experience? You know, what's your experience about posting? What's your experience about gaining traction? What's your experience about gaining an audience? And it's always so interesting because they give you a little piece and you go, okay, and then I'll, we try it. And uh-huh. then they'll give you another piece and we go, okay, we'll try it, you know, but it's it's very different. Broadcast is still powerful though, by no means, you know, with uh, NFL all the sporting stuff that we love and and and, uh, and TV the regular TV where traditionally our parents would watch it's still a pretty powerful vehicle but for how long that's the question
0: right yeah I, I mean um, when we we're do when we do the high session show or when we did the high session show we were partnered up with k5 and um, it's very it, it is interesting because at some point you realize, Hey, our audience online is larger than our audience on TV. And so TV has all these certain set of rules that you have to follow as well. It's a little bit, um, you got to fit in a box a little bit more than you doing your own thing online. But at the same time, the, the TV stuff, we found that it was a local audience, obviously, because local TV, but they were really, um, Passionate about it. it's like if they're watching it on TV. It's because they really liked the show or they disliked it, you know, so um, There are audiences on both sides and so if you can grab both it's it's obviously good, but um, Okay, so that's the uh, that's obviously the biggest change in the last 40 years anything about the production side. That's much different
1: Yeah, production side is interesting because uh, when I went to college you know I was gonna go to either become a musician and go to Berklee School of Music or go to TV school at UCLA. My parents are middle-class family. My dad worked for the phone company. My mom was a nurse. UCLA was like 50 uh, grand or 40 grand. There's no yeah. way we could afford it. And then uh, and then Berklee was kind of a stretch because I thought it was good, but not great. So, <laughs> you know, it was hard. But, um, you know, I was lucky because at, at that time, the University of Hawaii, so I ended up getting a broadcasting degree at Manoa, but we learned nothing in the broadcast college. I mean, literally nothing, yeah. but we had across the street next to pizza hut was PBS white. And that was a blessing. It was ah. our, you know, training ground. So, you know, we really got to go hands on and do stuff and learn and then eventually slide into the market, the real market. So, hmm. But, uh, you know, Chris, uh, Chris out at uh, uh, West Hawaii is doing a spectacular job. So those kids are getting firsthand. That college is gonna be as good as UCLA or USC one day. So it's very interesting.
0: Oh, that is interesting. Well, even like, um, I guess out of, at Waianae, they have a, Hawaiian High School, they have a good uh, mm-hmm. film set up there. I remember, um, I, w- I don't know why I went out there, but uh, they, this was before I started doing real estate. I was kind of, I was unemployed, if I can put it that way. And, um, they were offering a job out there to be the, the teacher that does all the, um, audio stuff. And I thought, Ooh, man, that's, that's right up my alley. That'd be fun. But, uh, you know, didn't pan out, but yeah, they have a lot of cool equipment. Hey, Dirk, before we we go on, do you know, do you know Devin?
1: Yeah, of course. Devin's been on our show a ton of (laughs) times.
0: Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to apologize because I didn't, I know, you know, Kyle, but I didn't know if you knew Devin. So, okay. So everybody well, knows. De- she,
1: it was, uh, Devin and Mandy and Devin and Devin, how many mm. partners have you had though? Uh, yeah,
0: four
3: now. Yeah. So Mandy, uh, Michael, uh, Tehani and now Esme. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's still Devin Nicoba though. It is. <laughs> 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 it
3: can't
0: seem to get rid of me, so. Uh. Devin is the constant. Well, but it's because he's a, he's a talented uh, talker. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, right. that's pretty much it. Is the talented talker part. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So okay, so Dirk, um, man, you you I didn't I for, totally forgot about Hawaii Stars, but basically huh. you 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 went from PBS just straight into television.
1: Yeah. So from PBS at that time. The place to work was KGB because KGB had a Hawaii production center, and I don't know if you guys remember, but it was CV at six. They had all the hot anchors, you know, Bob Jones, Tim Sindel, Linda Kobo. Uh Yeah. When I was coming up, Gary Sprinkle was the head of the sports department. Larry Beal was wow. his assistant, and then wow. and then the 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 young guy was the Shevsky, and then Kikala was the Garut, They call him, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that was the procession of anchors that went, of course, Larry went to ESPN and, and, and then Howard became an anchor. And so did Robert, you know? Uh, so we were back then we were all kids and yeah, KGB was happening because we would learn, uh, TV doing newscasts on the weekend. That's where I learned how to direct. Uh, we had good mentors like, uh, Phil Lardoni and a bunch of other directors in the market that were fantastic. Uh, they had the Hawaiian moving company. Um, so that was initially a disco show uh, with Kamasami Kong, and then it became this news magazine show which I wow, that was, that I didn't re- yeah. that. okay I, yeah,
0: me- yeah. I missed that I remember that. I'm just young yeah. enough to have missed Kamasami Kong. yeah,
1: I- I- Kong. I- yeah.
3: he was amazing man.
1: yeah, yeah. I, st- I still I still am in contact with Kong. you know Kong was the voice of our Henry Kapono Waikiki Show show. I just thought, oh my God, he'd be the perfect when we go to Japan, I try to see him. But he is still doing well, and you know, he's Kong, so busy. He looks, <laughs> yeah, looks the same, but Kong's in yeah. his 70s, I think. You know, yeah. I think he's the same age as Carol, my partner. But uh, no, he's still paving the way. So, but then uh, you know, KJB, you learn a lot. Then I got a job at this National Mobile TV, which was um, a company that brought in these huge TV trucks that would produce the Pro Bowl, the golf, the you know whatever, Aloha Bowl, or or hula bowl so we were busy primarily in the winter and during the other month the company was kind of slow but we were full-time workers so I, my task was to create business for the company mm. and and that's kind of how Hawaii Star started so Carol calls me one day and she said oh I think we should have people singing uh, karaoke that was it that was you know <laughs> and then I said she goes well what do I do next I go oh, you got to sell the show so honest to God, three days later she calls me and says, Oh, I sold the show, what's next? I was like, What? I go, What <laughs> did you sell? She sold basically people getting in front, getting up on a stage and singing karaoke. And that was the original concept. So from there, you know, we get we go to get airtime and then we figure out a format and then it just evolved. we didn't even know what was happening back then, you know. It was it was just it kinda came this became this phenomenon and um you know now that i look back i kind of wish we slowed down and enjoyed it but we were pumping out you know a show a week then it went to cakey Stars so another show we had a cooking show and then we had a golf show on espn so we were at one time doing four half hours a week and, mm. and i think it's impossible now because now carol and i do five shows a year
3: right i mean <laughs> yeah.
1: it's like how are we doing that work plus that was in a time when there was no nonlinear editing so it was those the machine to machine and i just think how did we ever time things (laughs) you know you have to be much more precise now it's like oh we're a minute over okay click 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 and you're to time Mm. but back then it was much harder
2: you know with the back in the hawaii stars days you must have saw tons and tons of amazing performances by pretty much unknown people at that time. Is there anyone that sticks out? And has there any one that's like just exploded and became popular and became rock star status from that show? That you uh, can remember? The
1: biggest, the, the biggest one would be Kili Ira show. You know, Kili came on the show. Uh, Cecilia Kupono was the judge that night and uh, Lloyd Kawakami. And uh-huh. this guy came up and he was uh, you know, a kid from Mali and he had this beautiful voice that sang ballads. But then later, I remember Kid Lee told the story uh, about what that proved to him was that he could get out in front of an audience mm. and do it. So he never even won, you know, that night. But what did he sing? Do you remember? Was it a Hawaiian you know, No, it wasn't was Hawaiian. It wasn't Hawaiian.
0: I saw the video. Like, they, they did a flashback something once and it wasn't a Hawaiian song. I don't remember what song, though. Well, some, some
1: ballad of that time, I think, you know, whatever yeah. the song was. Um, he was the most famous. We've had a bunch of others that have hit moderate success. But, you know, it, go, it goes to show that, you know, we pumped thousands of contestants through that show. And we all know, kind of being in the business, people go, oh, you're good, you're really good, you have a gift. But there's so many millions of steps from Mm-hmm. Being able to sing, then sing in front of an audience, then entertain properly in front of an audience, and then the whole other thing about writing, about learning even how to read music. How to do, how do you? That's my one Peter Moon story. He says his one big regret was he never learned how to read music. So it made it difficult to his other band members to communicate a song. So mm-hmm. he would, David Choi would come and painstakingly chart the song with him. And, and that was the one thing. But, you know, probably more than half of the musicians we know don't read music. So it's just, it, it is what it is, you know.
2: And I think the kids listening nowadays, they don't really understand how important that show was for Hawaii back in the day. Now, this is pre-American Idol. Yeah, yeah. Americans Got Talent, all this kind of stuff. And we had it in Hawaii, you know. And th- this show was groundbreaking, if you really think about it. You know, it was before all this like, big networks caught on to what, what you guys were doing. You know,
1: you know, honestly, the format was done before, right? So the there was a show called Tel Aviv Digest, which was kind of like that. Al Massini made uh, Star Search and Solid Gold. And in mm-hmm. fact, I was I was I, when Al was alive, I would tell him, "Oh, I kind of stole some of your stuff." And he goes, "Well, I stole stuff from other shows, you know. So it's mm-hmm. all you take kind of certain parts." of what you see and then you kind of modify it and you and of course it evolves through the process of the show but you know for 10 years Carol would never ever ever want to do a rerun so we were pumping out 52 Uh, shows a year which is insane because that
0: is that that is as someone who's done TV you don't understand how insane that is
1: that's like crazy
0: yeah yeah
1: I mean we literally had a mini machine though we had you know Finding contestants, auditioning contestants, coaching contestants, getting judges, filling the audience. You know, when when it was rocking, Ala Moana was like the Thunderdome. You know, it'd be, be yeah, yeah. three layers of you know four or five people deep, and it, I mean, it was fun. But it never, uh, it
2: never left Ala Moana, right? As far as all uh, the
1: it it actually did because we took it to neighbor islands a couple times, but then we ended up. Uh, going to Farrington High School with New Hope because because oh. Tim was Tim Savage would always direct my big shows uh, and we thought oh it's, they got all the equipment and they were welcoming us and yeah it was fun and then after that uh, auditorium collapsed from the big rain I don't think you guys remember oh, yeah, that yeah 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 then I forget where we went then we were out for a while and then we went back to New Hope on San Island. And they got that. So we still we still shoot, um, you know, a couple shows a year there. You know, we did we did this past Christmas show. Sometimes we'll do a short run, but it's uh, yeah, it was fun. So
0: so Dirk, maybe you can enlighten everybody because, um, you know, we get a lot of requests as I'm sure you do. Is like, uh, hey, we have this idea and uh why don't you come down and and um shoot this or can do this or whatever so you're a, a, a tv producer right is what i you would be labeled as correct
2: yeah yeah
0: so what does a tv producer do what does that job entail because um you're a very important part of the process although i don't think a lot of people know exactly what you do
1: yeah so a producer in television let me answer the first question, though. Yeah, people do always come up and go, I got this great idea for a show. So <laughs> my response, my normal one-on-one response is, hey, you know what? Sounds great, but give me a one-pager. And 99.9% of the people aren't able to communicate that next step of what the show is about, what their concept may look like. You know, it's, I, that's why once I know they can't pass that one-pager, it's not going to go nowhere, you know, but, um, yeah. So a producer, what a producer does is I'm basically an organizer. So basically I select the crew, I select the talent, uh, work on the concept work with writers or I write it myself, um, and make sure we stay in budget. So sometimes we act as an exec. So if it's a Hawaii show, star show I act as a executive producer and a producer because we are financially responsible Carol and I executive producer and then the producer part is uh, scheduling dates making sure talent the talent is there you know working with the talent working with the whole it's basically a million details that come into play moving toward that one shoot day or the one broadcast day so
0: and the reason why it's so important is because for anyone who's ever been on a TV set, there are just an endless amount of things that can go wrong or change or happen. And uh, having a person like Dirk there takes the pressure off the director, who is the person actually filming, You know, c- coming up with the idea of how we're gonna film this thing. And that's where your partner Ruben comes in, right?
1: Yeah, so if I do a good job, then Ruben doesn't sweat. So mm-hmm. but there are always unforeseen circumstances. So for example, a couple of weeks ago, we shot Pure Heart out at uh, Paradise Cove. And there's two parts of the audio, multi-track, which records uh, John and Jake and Lopaka on multiple individual channels to mix down. And then there's a monitor mix where John and Lopaka and Jake can hear themselves through the microphone and the system so our monitor guy was having a little technical difficulties because it was a digital board and his digital wiring wasn't working so we while these while the three guys were waiting in the hot sun he had to go back to an analog system put us back maybe i don't know 45 minutes or an hour and i was up against a clock because it was jake's son's birthday and we promised him he could cut a at four forty five at oh. four thirty actually, and because yeah. his- his wife would have killed him, you know so so <laughs> we're like scrambling and running and trying to figure out a way, so they got it working. We shot Jake's part first and then shot a wide shot and then released Jake and he left at four forty five bless his heart, and then we shot Don in lapa but and that like, you like, know. i think
0: i I feel like I have a little bit of a tan <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah a little little darker. yeah. So it's it's paid off. I got my vitamin D, right? It's very important right now.
2: Well, (laughs) I I saw that show last week. It was a fantastically put-together show. The sound was awesome. John told me that this show was the first produced locally show since COVID and the lockdown. Is that correct? How did this show come about?
1: It was was by pure chance. So... Uh, one of the grips was on the airplane with one of the guys from IBW, and they're talking about, hey, wouldn't it be nice during this time to produce a show that can honor IBW members, honor the three charities, Blood Bank of Hawaii, uh, Food Bank of Hawaii and Adult Friends for Youth, that's the, uh, the IB Local W 1186 support, and then uh, feature these musicians. So we were lucky that uh, the grip works with Ruben on Hawaii 5 and then that's how he got in contact with Damien Kim, the, uh, the head of wow. the union. So it worked out great though, but it was a short amount of time. Uh, we got our friend Keith Orita to give us Paradise Cove as a location. And you got to think about that. It would have happened no other time because on a regular, uh, if bus- it if was business as regular, Keith couldn't give us a spot because they work.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: we would have airplanes every 10 minutes. The flight <laughs> path would have been full. So, That's, right. That's you know, right, We got one airplane every two hours now, so.
2: And on top of that, we caught musicians on the island, not touring. That's playing. right. On the yeah. island, yeah.
1: Who, yeah. who also, you know, we didn't pay them a lot. We gave everybody an honorarium, but it was still a little bit of money. Uh, and and hopefully, um, you know, when you got Ruben shooting it and you got Gaylord Holomilea mixing, you know, 99.9% of the time, you're gonna get a beautiful product, so. Uh, yeah, so we're pretty proud of what uh, what the guys turned out.
2: It was yeah. a great show. Congratulations on that, both of you guys. It, was,
1: it turned out really... Good, good team, man. That's it. That's the key, you know? So I know You guys that, all know. Yeah, you got a good team. Less stress on you, so...
0: Yeah. So I know they're, that they re-aired it a couple of times. Are they going to continue to re-air it for those... Because... Uh, oh, no, that's it. We've had a run.
1: Yeah, that's it. Four times. And then... But it exists on... Um, what's well, going to exist on your site, if you like, and it's going to exist on, uh, K five and cooking Hawaiian style. and Yeah. Uh, IBW and Hawaii.com and star Advertiser. So,
0: okay. Okay, great. So, so what we'll do is, uh, when this podcast is done, we'll post the link inside our description so people can see it if they want to yeah. see
1: your production. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, uh, I, Ruben kind of calculated the numbers and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about yeah. the the size of the audience. Uh, let me try to find that thing. Okay, so I'm guessing, but I didn't get the numbers back from the TV station, but usually the TV, TV station will pull about fifty to seventy thousand per broadcast. So you know it's, it's still you know maybe a couple hundred thousand. This thing, after a couple of days, is at uh, almost seventy thousand views. Okay, so it breaks. This is what I love about the web. So the large. Let me see. Thirty. The largest viewpoint was Star Advertiser. The next was Jake's web page. <laughs> demographics were uh, female, 58 percent female, age fifty-eight to sixty-four. Thirty percent, thirty-three percent of the views came from Hawaii, fifteen percent came from California, and five percent came from Tokyo. Thanks to Jake, but uh, you know <laughs> it also says four hundred forty-seven uh, comments and all that. You know, I mean, it gives it's, it's so great the demos uh-huh. how everything gets broken down.
2: So yeah. all these, all these demographics broken down is from pure streaming on the web, not including the TV broadcast.
1: No. So in a week, in a week or two weeks, I get the TV, the TV numbers. Wow. So that's, very amazing. Too. wow.
2: that's amazing. Yeah, so when
1: we, when we give it back to the advertisers, they know exactly what they got. Yeah. Back in the old days, they would do this thing called Nielsen ratings Yeah, and you know, we got a million something uh, households, right? 1.2 house, 1.2 million people. They would do a thousand people through mm-hmm. mail. Yeah. how how prehistoric is that now? And your life would revolve around February, May, and November. But now it's instant, you know, so, or pretty instant that you can know what you're doing. And that's why we can, uh, when we're doing these live streams, we can adjust weekly, you
3: know. Unlike radio, which is still doing Nielsen. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, but Devin, you guys stream all over the place now, right? You're constantly streaming.
3: Yeah, we have uh, streams for, like, we have an app now. You can do it off our website and stuff like that. But it's still such a, um, you know, it's kind of a voodoo mixed with witchcraft, mixed with a little bit of science trying to figure out what people are listening to. It's really really hard to gauge. And then you put in, you know, uh, some some radio channels do better because they're doing streaming stuff. Right. Uh, and and it's really hard to get down to that granular level. So to to know that you guys can get it to that level and like, get it to people so quickly and say, okay, by the way, here's
1: where you want to hit. Okay.
3: This is, this Mm -hmm. is the show that'll do that for you. It's pretty amazing, man.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's a whole new world. And, and, and the whole trip is that, you know, we got to spend the time as we get er older, Learning is more difficult. (laughs) You really have to apply yourself.
2: You know, I have a technical question. Since you guys been in, you know, you've been in TV for forty years. Um, Back in the day, I knew that the television adds ten pounds to you when you're being filmed. Is that still the case today? So I can bring it on television, or is that (laughs) obsolete now? What you see is what you get.
1: Yeah, but see. You see, okay, so this is why I wear a black shirt because black shirts make you thin, and the white shirts make you big. But that's um, why a you look the wrong shirt. You look buff, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the, the the best thing is color. So if yeah. you're doing a podcast, I should have wore a red shirt. But like John wore your shirt the other day, supporting his good friend. Uh-huh. So, I'm like, hey, it's yeah. Kyle's shirt. He goes, oh no, Kyle and I are good friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I remember when we were doing high sessions, we would tell people, do not wear brown, do not wear gray. If you yeah. have to, you can wear black, but try to bring some color to the, to the spectrum, you know, like, because, uh, right. yeah, Be- being, being, especially the worst is gray. Like that you can do. Yeah. Brown so is ben not is that the only person. one
2: that followed your rules.
0: Yeah.
2: Except for his lighting yeah
1: lighting sucks but
0: well i feel like i'm okay because I, I have a white background so you know the black stands I out I'm, i got
1: too much uh, backlight i pull my curtains but it's you know it is what it is yeah. i can have my screen light me a little bit more
0: there we go that's all right
1: man i can't we, move we,
3: around i can't move around too much because my wife would be like why are you showing off our house <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: so dirk, me to be in a nice little corner
0: dirk what, what are you, some of your favorite or most interesting tv moments that that came out of all these this filming like have you ever had like either uh, the, okay what moment were you the most panicked and what moment <laughs> when when you were done was like oh that was so satisfying or that was uh that was a great shoot you know oh. or that was a great moment or we caught something magical
1: you know you know the i always tell uh young kids when they're coming up i go if you can get the best job in the world work is like play so that was part of my thinking when I went to college because I thought I'm not built to sit in the office for eight hours or whatever. It's just, I can't do it. So that's why I always thought television would be a good career for me because you're always doing something different. It's always fun. Um, my my worst time was a 4th of July show. Now the, back then the budgets were huge. Um, Ala Moana was owned <clears> by <throat> Daiye and Dexter good dexter suzuki was a marketing guy so he and i would work on months on the show and just my fireworks budget was i would say between 120 and twenty and one hundred thirty thousand dollars for 22 minutes of fireworks so that i knew was kind and that,
0: of and that was 20 20 years ago 25 years yeah, ago
1: was, yeah 25 years ago and so i knew the so it was a two-hour live show and i knew at the bottom of the hour at 8 30 would start the fireworks that would take me to 8 42 and then i would have go to commercial and then one couple songs and then we'd be we'd be out so um whenever we did the fireworks it was always triggered by uh, a digital feed that would sync up the song and the the way it blossomed or the you know the patterns that would that that would show on the screen so uh my biggest timing uh uh effort was to get us close to time at the bottom of the hour because I knew that once I rolled that it was 22 minutes and I would be we're kind of golden right so so this is probably the third or fourth year that we've done this thing and we have a little experience now so so we roll the thing and I go I look at my clock and I go Timmy I'm four seconds off and I'm like he's like you're four seconds off I'm like holy shit that's wonderful and I swear as soon as I said that the screen went blank because what happened was uh, it's called a flower pot so those big 10 or 12 inch uh, canisters of fireworks the thing went up maybe 20 feet and exploded and then it laid waste to all the pots you know the rest of the pots and basically we had no fireworks so then I'm like (laughs) panicking and we go to commercial and i'm telling everybody get back on stage and uh at that time i had kata maduli as my paul schaefer of music so you know letterman was hot i love paul schaefer and i was like kata you gotta be my paul schaefer so he brings out his all-star band the, the bridge boys i think they were called back then so it was dj pratt michael grande garen foliahu all basically the a team, and um and then I just asked them, I said, hey, you got to come up with something for like 15 minutes and take us out. And they just, they did two songs and we were, we were golden, but there was black on the screen for a, you know, at least a minute trying to figure out what we got to do. So that was my worst. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, I can wow. see that. Yeah. Brutal. Live TV, unforgiving, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. spooky And Kyle,
3: we were at Diamond Head Theater, right? Getting ready to do a show, probably, when he was producing those at Ala Moana.
2: That's right.
3: We would always, and thank you, because we would always leave rehearsal so we could watch the fireworks and then go (laughs) back inside.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Those were fun, though. You know, we had all kinds of controversy. I mean, those are, you know, 50,000 people in the park, 10,000 people on the deck. One of the things that I wanted to do was have the E.K. Fernandez first wheel, you know, right across where we were broadcasting and, you know, back then we didn't have drones, it was helicopter. I have to hire a company in California to do microwave that the signal would be caught at the Hilton Hawaii Village and sent back to the TV station. So we used um, golf or NASCAR technology back then. So I'd have a cameraman and a microwave guy shooting the signal. It was just, it seems so prehistoric now, you know, but and it was very, very expensive to do that. But, uh, you yeah, know, it was fun. We were ambitious back then. It was sure. crazy. Sure.
0: So what was your yeah. most uh, like uh, satisfying or like lightning in the bottom of
1: You know, it's, it's uh, because of the business, you know, we get to meet all kinds of people, you know, I mean, we, you know, I got. We had a golf show. Mark Rolfing was the host. You know, Mark's on NBC. We interviewed Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan. Tiger was so. Tiger Woods was playing in Kauai. and he, you know, it's the what do they call the Grand Slam? So the four major winners, right? So Tiger Woods. I don't know who else the other three guys were. So we were supposed to interview him after the round. We fly up to Kauai, get all set up. I got the crew. You know. Uh we're ready to go. Tiger has a bad round. He doesn't want to do the interview. So basically uh. we burn we burn five grand. You know, flights, I gotta book uh. the crew, I gotta pay the crew, you know, all the shit. So then he goes, Mark, I wanna make it up to you. Um uh next week we're at Palm Springs, so I'll do the interview at Palm Springs. I'm like, Holy shit. So we're not gonna bring the whole crew. We get a, a crew from the broadcast team with NBC. And then I fly up to produce it. So we get up there. His round is over. You know, we're waiting. The door opens. There he is, Tiger Woods. He walks in, nice as can be, sits down, and Ralph, you know, just pounds out this interview. And I always remember that at the end of the interview, uh, he was very cordial. And he goes, he looks up at us, at the crew, and he goes, anybody need anything? And then the guys start whipping out their golf magazine and stuff, and he starts signing, he <laughs> everyone for the crew. Wow. And he goes, "I'll see you guys later," and he left. Yeah, wow.
0: that's good. By the, by the way, did you guys all watch uh, Last Dance on uh, ESPN?
1: I, I never watched that yet. I'm looking forward oh. to it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, I think it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's really good
2: stuff. Did, did well, it- not a lot of controversies coming out. All yeah. The different- stories and like people you know saying oh that was all bullshit this is the real story and it's kind of <laughs> interesting to, to all that comments you know
0: well that's what makes it good right it <laughs> like it
2: opens the door for all these
0: conversations to come up
1: it does like, like has
0: it changed your your uh, uh your perception of of jordan at all
1: after all of this not not mine i mean i haven't seen it but i know a little bit you know it's like i know that um when we got to interview him he would fly in the jet with his guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would meet on the big island, and they would play on a private course. And I never played in the matches, but I know uh, some of my friends did. And they were playing for some serious dough. Yeah, yeah. And, and he'd, he'd call out, he'd call the clubhouse and goes, bring us four daiquiris and four steak sandwiches. And of course, it shows up. And then when they get done, they party, and then when they're done, they go home on his jet, you know. Mm. So it's just a different world. And I and so because I worked for that company, National Mobile, I got to I got to work on the uh, ninety two Olympics in Barcelona. So, oh yeah. One of my one of my friends was producing basketball, so we got to go and watch uh, the Dream Team. So that was a real Dream Team, right? Michael, oh. Charles, and and Larry Bird, Larry Bird, and uh, Magic Johnson. John Stockton, and the,
3: yeah,
1: yeah, the big controversy that uh, what you call it what was the starting guard for the Detroit Pitches. Isaiah, never made it, right? Yeah, right. So right. He's supposed yeah. to be there, Carmelo. Anyway, but then we heard, you know, they the NBC was shooting the practices, and they said uh, one time Magic pissed off Jordan, and then you know Jordan's kind of goofing around playing, and then all of a sudden he gets pissed off and he takes over the game. Like, he shuts everybody they, down. They, actually, just, they, they talk, actually mention
0: it. Yeah, they talked talk about,
3: about
1: it. talked about
0: that in the documentary. Oh, yeah?
1: They actually,
0: yeah.
2: Showed, actually a film in the documentary. Oh, no way. Because I remember
1: that. I remember they were like, oh, my gosh, Magic pissed off Jordan. And then Barkley said something like, why'd you piss him off? Why'd you piss <laughs> him off? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we were hearing those stories in 92, uh, you know, being around the crew.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, they have the. uh, If you guys want on YouTube, they have um, the Olympics channel has recently released some of the old games. Wow! But it's it's really interesting because you watch it and there's no commentary on it. So it's just it's just the cameras and you hear just the noise from the crowd and and the players and stuff like that. Just guys playing. But I think that they play Croatia and Gola and Germany were the uh, the three games that they released. So yeah,
1: they were they were just. They were cruising until they got pissed <laughs> yeah. off. Like, I remember Bar- one game, Barkley got pissed off, and he was like, "Okay, you know, yeah. Yeah, we we're being yeah. nice." Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Down, you know,
3: but they uh, they also there's one game that they played against uh, some college all stars that they said we'll never make, we'll never make broadcast, and they'll never show it, because it was Chuck Daly messing with them, because I guess oh. they were screwing around and screwing around, yeah. and so what he did was he called in a bunch of the guys from uh college and the college guys were hungry and they wanted to play and that's the that's the only game that they lost and oh it was my. it was during that time and after they lost chuck taylor went you see anybody can lose and they went okay <laughs> and then yeah. they just steamrolled everybody but it was a yeah. it was a, a gut check for all of them because you know i mean that was that was bird and stockton and jordan and all those guys and they they just got beat because the kid oh, was, was a hungry. lot
2: of it was a lot of ego in that in on that yeah too.
1: Yeah they they had they yeah. had
3: become a they had become a team yet so yeah it's interesting
1: it's interesting how do you manage that though yeah can right. you imagine being the coach how do you manage that then? because you know it's like uh you know on a much much smaller level like i would feel like when we're doing a big show i've got like uh you know 50 kids that i got to take care of and everyone has a different thing you got to do some like mm-hmm. you just go hey, how you doing some you got to go you know, you're so good, man. I want to keep you going. You got to, it's motivational levels yeah. on different areas, on different people. And it's just those things. And can you imagine that exponentially for Chuck mm-hmm. Daly? It's crazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: But I guess that's the job of a good producer.
1: Well, <laughs> job of, it's nothing compared to what those guys do, man. Those coaches. Oh my gosh, how do you motivate a legend? You know, how do you yeah. get the glue to stick it through, you know.
2: Are you even competitive when you're playing a game in the Olympics and the other team is asking you for autographs before the game? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before the game. you know. That's true.
3: Yeah, just uh, let them go. But yeah. uh, and uh, they have another uh, documentary, a uh, Bird and uh, Bird and Magic one
1: uh, oh, that also
3: delves into the that delves into the uh, that whole dynamic between all of them, and it's interesting to. The, the dynamic between Bird and Magic, and how over the years they suddenly became close friends after being enemies, and you know, uh, for a long time. But they talk about that whole time with the Dream Team and how that all worked out. And he said uh, uh, Magic would talk about Bird wanting to get out the quickest way possible. Like he would say, if there was a, he he said if there was a side entrance or a side exit, Larry Bird would want to know where it was. And Magic oh. always wanted to go through the front door. <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> and, so, and so Bird, they'd get, to the, they'd get to where they were gonna exit, and Larry and Magic would just say, okay, see you on the bus. And they would leave completely separate ways because Bird just didn't want to have anything to do with it. He just wanted to play basketball.
0: It was really There's interesting. Different personality, right? Everyone's got to Oh yeah, totally, totally. But okay,
1: but so, that, uh, hmm? sorry. No, I was gonna say, but that LA-Boston series, you know, when was that, oh, back yeah. in the 90s or whatever? Or eighties, eighties, eighties. That was then. I remember. I still remember those games. So beautiful.
3: Yeah, yeah. Watching watching them uh, in their prime is pretty amazing stuff. Um. So Dirk, uh, we always ask of every guest that comes on, and I see the guitars behind you over there. So, um, we ask you for your three Desert Island discs. Um, your three albums that you would take with you to a deserted island. They can't be. Uh, they can't be greatest hits albums only because that way you know huh. you can't cheat and go. I want Eagles' greatest hits one and two or something like that.
1: You know. Uh. Okay. So the local disc. Well, I might cheat on the local the two local discs that that affected me the most was you know of course Kalapana CNK one. You know both incredibly mm-hmm. produced, both beautifully arranged, and you know we're lucky we got to meet you know, Henry and C and Milani and Mac and, and of course is our close friend uh, now in DJ. But yeah, that those I mean the, if I can categorize those as one. Uh Steely Dan Asia uh mm. was my other one. That's a to me a masterpiece. And then uh probably Tower of our the one that's labeled Tower of Far. When you're the shirt for <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, I'm a power fan. And because of Kata, you know, we we got to know uh, Emilio Castillo and some oh, of the band wow. now. So, uh, and, and I just feel really bad for Emilio. So whenever they come, we've lately been having a dinner, just the six of us. And then I geek out, of course. And I'm like, he's like, how the hell do you remember? And Emilio has the most incredible memory. But I just, you know, I mean, you love these bands and you know, I used to read every liner note and everything about them. It's like Steely Dead or like Seen Care of Kalapana. You just get to know all the stuff, you know, and yeah, I appreciate that. Wait, what,
3: why, why did you say you feel
1: bad for Emilio? Cause I, cause I geek out on him and I ask every <laughs> stupid question about the band, you know, but then he tells me, he tells me about how the band got formed and, you know, so I'll tell you a little bit about it. So Emilio's yeah. father was a very supportive father, okay? So he and, uh, when when Emilio first got the band together, his brother was the drummer, and uh, Rocco, who was the legendary power Bar bass player, was mm-hmm. playing guitar. So then Emilio's father built them a stage in their garage in Oakland, okay? So it was kind uh-huh. of blocked off. That was a rehearsal hall. He hired a guy, to teach them how to play music, they didn't know how to play music. So he said, "Rocco, you play the bass, uh, and uh, Emilio, you practice your saxophone." And he talks about when he first met Doc, who's his writing partner, the baritone sax player. And and uh, you know, he said the skinny guy came in and he they didn't have, the door didn't work. He had to climb through the window <laughs> and then they played. You know, and I mean, yeah. So then he said. He doc played a couple songs and then his father called him into the kitchen. He said, You got to hire this guy, you know. And so that was one thing. And and David Garibaldi, the drummer, now talks about how it was difficult because he was a much better drummer than Emilio's brother. But he had Emilio had to tell his brother, Oh, you're out, bro. Uh, David's coming in, you know. And all those stories. I mean, he's got a million stories about, you know how they made the next step and he's just i wish one day i could actually do a documentary for them because it's he i want to in fact i would tell kata we should tell emilio just lay this stuff down because his memory is still so good Mm. and they're i don't know what 40 50 years now so they were in the 60s yeah so they could be coming up on 50 years maybe And you watch
3: them and you watch them play live now and there is no diminishing of their capabilities they sound amazing oh man they just they they they've yeah knock it out of the park every time it's pretty amazing in fact actually that's one of the it's one of the interesting things about performance um i noticed is the older bands they still know how to do a show you get the Mm. sorry to say it this way but the the kids nowadays when they get up there and they play it's not as i don't know sometimes it's not as entertaining but you get up there you watch tower power play and you just see them just come out and just i mean they don't they don't have lights and fog and <laughs> any of that stuff. You know, they don't have lasers or any other stuff. They just come out and just blast you with this music that just gets you yeah. going. You know, them, the Earth, Wind & Fire, those kind of things. And it's uh, it's it's hard to find that nowadays with the with the bands yeah. that are coming up now.
1: Yeah. You know, remember the band S.O.S., Society of Seven? Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So I would, I would say Tony Ruviar was the master of what you just described. He has mm-hmm. the ability to... Shape the show in that tiny outrigger showroom and use the minimal props to create the magic. But he had oh, yeah. always had beautiful singers. And then Richard yeah. Nato became an expert at it too. But, you know, Tony, oh my gosh, he was, I used to ask him all kinds of questions about pacing and about, you know, what, how his visuals work because it was always kind of like a magician, right? Look over here, all the band resets here and, you know, all this going up in the front versus the back. Ugh a million little things i learned from him yeah. so we
3: uh, we sometimes wonder because uh, kyle and i used to go see uh honolulu the band a lot and they they kind of modeled themselves after sos to a large extent so it's funny to watch their shows because you could see the stuff that they sort of cribbed off sos and went okay that works we got to put a guy in drag at some point in time during the show because that's always fun yeah <laughs> Yeah. but you know you had the yeah. guy who could sing really high you had the guy who had all the soul you they had the horns they had everything working and you just went wow so that you know that it was such a heyday of of uh, music in hawaii because you had everything you had um not just the c and k's kalapanas but you had sos and stuff who do shows who do actual shows for you in a showroom in waikiki which is crazy which
1: which is interesting yeah, because you gotta think about it uh Carol had a show at the Hilton Hawaiian. Loyal yeah. had a show at the Ala Moana. Don Ho had a show at the International Marketplace. Uh, Danny Kalakini was at the Kahala. You know, Jimmy Borges was at the Hyatt. I mean, live entertainment happening so many places, you know. Nohelani was just starting out back then, and she was at uh, Princess Kailani, the disco thing, or whatever she was doing, you know. So, man, it was just a wonderful scene back then. No, and so now everybody
3: goes. What's up with the scene? We're, yeah, we're, John's playing at, you know, Willows for yeah. like one hundred fifty dollars, and it's like him and her playing for three hours. And I go, whoa, why,
0: huh, what? Well, nowadays it's not even that. It's uh, I'm doing my live stream from my my bedroom, <laughs> where you <laughs> are right now,
1: actually. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you can now you know. So that's what we do on Thursday, because you know, Savannah was a is a single parent. <laughs> He's got two kids and we do the tip chart and it makes enough money it makes more than a hundred you know for him a show so you know he goes to costco buys the food for the week and then we see him the next week you know but he's i think his motto is he's got to do two shows or three shows a week and then kind of makes it up so mm. but you know i feel so bad for our musicians you know they go from having three or four gigs a week to zero like zero. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Do you see this yeah. platform now since COVID where everybody's playing online with a tip jar and having these intimate performances in your living room through Zoom or whatever kind of things that we're, you know, production equipment that you're doing right now to adapt? Um, do you see it
1: ongoing after this thing is over? I, I you know, I was just thinking about that because I, I I, think it's, I think we're just breaking into this. and exactly, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Ruben was telling me about a company I can't remember right now, but I'm gonna look at it after we get off. But uh, they specialize in these live concerts. So they have, uh, you know, it had a whole list, and it well, some big entertainers. You know, ten dollars, twenty-five bucks, and you can you can watch a concert that they're doing. So that's the next step from these, you know, weekly things that we do. Then so we got to create a show and 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 market it and maybe people will come to these virtual concerts you know but if you yeah. need mc
3: uh, you know yeah I,
1: I, I just had an idea what
0: if you um had a had a like a a venue okay that does live music but they do these online concerts and they had all the artists there like pictures of them and then you had like okay would we hit 500 bucks this guy will come in and do a concert and so you kind of pre- <laughs> You kind of prepay your ticket, and if you get enough people to buy, and it gets that thing, then the guy comes in and he does the concert, and it's all. It's, so it's all like uh, upfront, you know.
3: John's I gonna know. be like four grand, though, just to prepare you. <laughs> he's gonna make it really. He's gonna make it really
1: expensive, so it'll be worth as well. <laughs> well, I, I, I wanna. Dig, I'm gonna digress a little bit. Okay, so um, you know how uh, uh, the porn industry was huge, right? With VHSs <laughs> and DVDs, right? <laughs> Okay, I don't know what you're talking out. about there. Yeah, I'm just talking about <laughs> research, okay? So then it goes off the cliff because everything's online, right? And then the girls evolve into these things called chamming. So I did like right. a whole research on these camming, and they do exactly what you just talked about. So you give me a thousand tokens and the shirt comes off and then yeah. you give me, but it's, it's, it's crazy because, you can see the m- m- money, and then you can see their followers. And mm-hmm. I mean, I read one article. I read a couple articles where a couple of them are—they are, make a million bucks a year. So oh. hello, you know, you don't have to do these movies or go to a strip club, and they just do it from their bedroom. So, so John,
2: yeah, you gotta think of um, how much you're actually gonna charge to play shirtless too. That's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Actually,
0: actually, it has, do- it has dollars for me to put clothes on. So the higher you pay, the, I come dressed. You know, like the, for for zero, I show up with my bibs.
3: But then, if you want if you want me to come with a shirt on, you gotta pay ten
0: bucks, right? Don't make
1: me! Don't make me take was, off my shirt, man. That's right.
2: That's right. <laughs> Reverse strip poker for you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's
1: right. <laughs> but I think all those things are valid. You know, we just are trying to figure out a way to grow an audience and then monetize the talent and and make mm-hmm. use of you know, all these crazy people who have so much talent and they just need to get out. You know, before it was, uh, think about, John, you guys and, and all you guys, you know, the music business where it costs so much money to record a CD and then you uh-huh. get a CD, then you got to find a distributor and the distributor takes half and then you're responsible for the return. Now, forget it, you know, I'll just be in my bedroom pumping out these YouTube files. Right. And yeah, monetize uh, it that way. Well, every- John, you guys you guys know because uh, uh, Mike Love was on our show. Yeah. And I said, Mike, hey, that one song did really good, a couple of million. He goes, Dirk, 23 million. I yeah. was like, what? Yeah. And he they goes, know. because of that one song, he gets to tour around the world. That's right. You know,
0: I mean, it, it, it was a symbiotic relationship in that it launched, completely launched his career but also gave our show uh, validity. You know, like, and hey, we have this we, we started what this Mike Love thing and so you know it got us to easily when we started the show, I mean granted, I gotta give a lot of love to um Nathan Avial and Yoza and some of these artists that they came on because I asked them to. They had no idea or even Mike Love. They had no idea what the show was about, but they were like, Okay, you know, this is John's, so I'll come and do this or whatever. But you know, but by the end, it's like I couldn't, we couldn't handle the requests coming in, you know, of people that want to come on the show. So, um, yeah, it's it's super interesting how that works.
3: (laughs) Dirk, you know, one other thing too, um, we're talking with each other (laughs) live on on this Zoom thing. And I'm trying to figure out, is there a way to to change the, I don't know if it's a latency or whatever, so that if the four of us are playing instruments and singing, it all would mesh. Because right now you can't do that. There's just no way, if you're sitting four people separate, to to do something like that. Is that somewhere on the horizon where people can be in four different places and play, or is it always gonna come down to everybody shoots their thing and then it, it gets
1: put together? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure once we all jump on 5G and the bandwidth decreases, mm. that's gonna happen. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just technology. Remember? I mean, it went from dial-up, we wait forever. Then it went to, you know, broadband and, you know, all the Wi-Fi gets better. And I I'm almost guarantee when 5G happens, we're going to be able to be in five different places and, and John can lead us and we can all sing with John, you know?
2: I guess that's like out of all the bad things that happen while we're locked down, the creativity of musicians and everything Became something really neat to see, and and the intimate part of it is like I get to see them in their own element. Like I can click, see Kelly Boy live in his living room, and go and be in my living room and watch him play. I can click and watch Tavana play in his backyard, and go, "Wow, that's where Tavana lives. His backyard's pretty cool." You know, <laughs> and, it, and now I now I know exactly what John's closet looks like for the past. <laughs> really fun, you know, but it it creates a different kind of um. Feeding when you watch these musicians play now and i think it should be ongoing i mean you know granted we can all you can't beat live music going to a club and watching them play but this is another option too that i think it could be something as a you know set a standard for the future
1: you know i I completely agree yeah i mean you get you definitely get a little more intimacy even though we're not together there's a lot of things in fact i was talking to savannah about it i go Tavana You got to tell people about your growing up. You got to tell people about, Mm -hmm. you know, what you're thinking about when you wrote this song or, you know, we we don't need to have wall-to-wall music. We can just, you know, it's very informal and and talk about, you know, his struggles maybe as a single parent uh, or living in Hawaii or childcare, you know, all those things, it's real life. And I think the more you share with people, the more uh stickiness the more traction you get mm-hmm. as a fan so they understand you but by, by the way well, how I did appreciate
0: you appreciate the music too
1: you know from the it. music too yeah
0: how did you even hook up with tavana because I, I don't know if you know but he, he myself and mike are all classmates i didn't know that yeah we're we're just all separated by a year so i'm the oldest and tavana then mike
1: yeah because uh well well tavana has been friends of ours and then very he was closer to ruben and then now I've become oh. so insane, but Ruben just mm. basically said, hey, we got to support Devon. I said, yeah, okay. So then, you know, like, again, back to our team. Who do we get for audio? We try to get the best. Like, so go, "Giller, do you want to commit this thing? He's like, yeah, it's right by my studio. Okay. You know, and then we get Mike Love on, and then Mike tells me that he and Mike, they at 17, they had a band, and they started yeah. together, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Oh, I'm wow. like, really?
1: He and Mike, and he goes, oh, no, our band was fun. And they're, you know, so they... What was interesting that day was they were playing songs from back in the day. And yep. I was like, oh, holy shit. It's like, you know, when Tomonado get back together. Or <laughs> G- get back. It's, just, it's just like, you know, it's rote because you played that song, you know, a hundred times already together. So, right. Right, was, right, right. It was yeah. a
2: full back air jam that I enjoyed the most. It was, it was an impromptu song that they played back in the day and just did it for the first time on air, right, or something like that. Yep, yeah, Watch your performance. Yeah. That was a fun, that well, was like, a fun concert.
1: Or like John, John, when was the last time you and, and Jake and Lopaka played Tokana together or Molokai? And I know you guys are kind of running it a little bit, but, you know, when you performed it, it was beautiful.
0: It was probably, I don't know, the Hawaii Theater concert, like Hawaii 2016 Theater. or something like that. that like long?
2: Wow. Four years ago, yeah. Now, John, did you guys, how much times did you rehearse before you went on those rocks and played that song? Zero. That's amazing. Of
3: course. <laughs> of course,
1: yeah. Yeah, but I, I, it's just
0: It would have been nice to practice, but didn't have nobody <laughs> we didn't have time.
1: <laughs> it, you didn't need to. It was just like, you know, everyone knew what the song was and what was going on and just mm-hmm. see well, you've become a better musician, Jake's become a better musician, and Lopaka's become a better musician. So
0: Well, Lopaka does this thing that always drives me crazy where he's he's trying to he goes, "Hey, why don't we do this uh new intro? I'm t- this is not the time to start busting out like new intro. Or... So even the ending, he, he did this like pop 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 pop, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, oh god! And luckily we got it, you know. But a lot of times I'm not, like, you know, I'm. I, it's so hard for me to catch on to these things, you know. I'm not like him, you know, with the with the beats and stuff. And he does that all the time. And I'm all, and it's always at the concert or right before we're about to start. It's like. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, you know, I gotta slow him down. But uh yeah, this just <laughs> But that's what makes him fun too, you know.
1: Oh my gosh. But then, you know, when Ruben was putting it together, he was amazed at how uh precise you guys were. Because because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we did shoot Jake and then we let him go, but then you guys had to do your part and it was it was locked in. So that was mm-hmm. that's why he was able to give such a good cut, too, you know. Cool. But uh <laughs> yeah, he gets it. But man, it Kata was locked in, and then Molokai. It's you know it's 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 interesting because it's three separate pieces. It's your voice, your guitar is the foundation. Jake does the little fills, and then you hear Lopaka in the background. So beautiful, beautiful.
0: Thanks.
2: Yeah, that was well, a great performance.
0: Thanks. Well, my last question for you, uh, Dirk, before we let you go because this uh, this is flown by so quickly, but um, what is it about golf that you i see golfing all the time you're, you're a big golf guy what's, what's what's the love of golf there
1: so i always say that uh, i really should be surfing because to me you know i surfed since i was a kid so probably in my early 30s and surfing was always the best sport to me because when you get out of the water there's a couple of things so you drain your nose because all the water mm-hmm. then you're hungry then we used to go to rainbows And then you take a nap and that's like the perfect day. Okay. But golf is a sport where you can never master, you know, it's just the most difficult sport. It's not a physical sport. It's a mental sport, you know, so it's Mm. frustrating, but yet it's incredibly challenging. And then now, you know, I have very few friends that surf, but a lot of friends that golf, so Uh it's kind of way (laughs) that way. Yeah. I see.
0: All right, well, man, hey, thanks for coming on to the podcast. We really appreciate it. You know, we're gonna um, we're we're gonna stop, but uh, don't hang up because okay. what we've been doing is we just turn the whole thing off, and then it kind of feels weird because then there's just like we've been talking for an hour and just stop, you know, just kind of cut, cut. But we're gonna say <laughs> bye to our audience for now, and then we'll um, keep on for a couple more minutes and just kind of chat. Okay. You got it. Okay, so. So uh, thanks for tuning into the podcast. We'll see you next week, and uh, till then, aloha, aloha. Hey.